Okay, okay y'all. Whoops. Okay, sorry for people watching the video. We're a little getting our act together here. Okay, so I think this may be the first week everything's gone as planned, except we have plumbers. So if they start making noise, we'll just kind of breathe. But like I teased my small group, it's about unity, so I had to be nice today. So um, anyway, but I do think we're all working together this morning well because they're being kind enough to not be noisy right now. So that is unity. Okay. Thanks, Kara, for praying that because I, I just as she's praying, I'm just thinking, wow, there is so much to say on unity, and I do not have enough time to say it. Um, I hope your small groups will really kind of chew on it and be just thinking about it because there's so much. Um, even as we looked at the people of God in the Old Testament last semester, God saved them as a people and because they all worshiped the same God and all had the same laws and they were separate, it was like their identity was born out of that. And the same, we're kind of putting that in the New Testament. Um, and so that's a little bit of what we're talking about today is Paul is really encouraging them to be unified. Um, so let's read our passage. Um, I'm titling this this week as Church Unity, a same kind of different. So I don't know, since we're in Texas and we're in Fort Worth, you probably all know the book, Same Kind of Different as Me, and the movie, which actually somebody from Mississippi produced, so we were loving that. Um, but that I just kind of want to have a play on that in that that we're all we're not all homogenous but we have the same kind of differentness and so i hope that comes out in this talk so let's read our passage philippians 2 1 through 4. so if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul is, just like uh, Kara was praying, in the chapter preceding this, so remember this is a letter to a church. It's not like, oh, now we're in chapter two, let's erase all that and start with a new premise. No, this is a a continuing thought. He talked about unity in chapter 1. If you read verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so when we hear him talk in chapter 2, it's, it's very similar. But in chapter 1, it seems like there, he's saying you need to be unified against the external forces. Now we're shifting. You need to be unified against the internal forces. Um, and there's that slight difference. Um, so, and we'll see later in Philippians, he starts addressing some of these issues. Um, one of them happens to be two women who are not getting along, which is a women's Bible study. It's going to be real fun to talk about. Um, but you, he's, he's saying, look, this, this means the gospel's real. You need to act and live like the gospel has really impacted you. You've had this common experience of being saved. And he lists these four things in those first 
couple of verses. So let's look at that. Because based on that, you should be unified. Um, let's see. There's the first one. is, And it depends on what your version says. Consolation in Christ. To me, that just means you've received peace and forgiveness. You've received that comfort that, that just... Your life, as hard as it is, you have a purpose, you have peace, that one day it'll be over and you will live forever with Christ. There, there is, you are special to him. You are beloved by him. And that leads us to the second one. There is a comfort of just being loved by God. You're valued, you're adored, he sings over you, he sees you. And then there's this fellowship of the Spirit, which basically is like Christ's Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You abide with Him. And then there's this affection and mercy, which because He loves you, because He has His heart beating for you, then there is action that comes out of that affection. It's mercy. He meets your needs. He hears when you cry out to Him. All of those kind of things. There's an action born out of love. So these four things are just part of gospel living because that is the starting point of your gospel life. That God himself, the Trinity, who's also very communal and relationship-oriented, when, when God, who's a Trinity, Trinity, three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, save you, that is not going to look like an individual endeavor. That thumbprint, that the way the artist works, you, you recognize the artist. God is relationship-oriented and works together in the, trying, in the Trinity, and so therefore he saves us to do the same thing, to, to not just be individualistic. So because we have all had that experience, if you're a believer, you have experienced the consolation, the comfort, the fellowship and the affection and mercy. And if you haven't, if you look at yourself and go, I'm not sure what she's talking about, then please, let's talk. Let's talk because that is the offer of the gospel. But if you are a believer, you have tasted that. And that is the common thread you have with people who are really different than you are. Because the main thing you have in common and that's why you can be unified that's why you're the same kind of different and remember the first three Philippians we met in Acts when Paul arrived in Philippi how different could they be Lydia who is well off a great businesswoman has got enough leadership skills that she's gathered the few women they don't even have a synagogue but somehow these women are meeting and talking about God and that's that's the beachhead effort that Paul uses to start this church then you have the slave girl who's screaming, following them, and, you know, no telling what she was dressed like and what her family situation was, and is a totally lifestyle change than Lydia. And she has her demon kicked out, so I'm making the assumption that she's also part of this community. And then you have a Philippian jailer who's Roman, and you put those three together, and there's not a lot you have in common except this kind of salvation, this great salvation, this great consolation, this great comfort, mercy, fellowship. So that's the unity needs to be the kind of unity the gospel basically traps you in, in a great way. 
of course this is what would happen if you're saved by this kind of God for this kind of purpose you are going to be unified with other people who've had the same experience and Paul basically it's not like if then you get to do this it's like since you've been saved this way it's almost like a, a literary device of look because of this of course you need to be unified but my second point is unity is um, a y'all endeavor, not a you. It's plural you. So I think the South gets this right in saying y'all because it's obviously different. Y'all, not you. Um, and um, in this section, I really I, I found this after I did your handouts, but on the Gospel Coalition, there's a guy named Mike Sterling. If you want to see where I get a lot of this section, um, he just did a great job of kind of condensing it condensing it for me so I just want to give credit there but basically unity is a group endeavor that the person the individual has responsibility to make happen okay if you're like me my nightmare in high school and college was to have a group project that is not how I did school I did not like it I wanted to be responsible for my own grade and not depend on these boys who would show up and think all the girls were gonna do the work I did not like this situation you know and so, anyway, there goes our unity. Okay. <laughs> Woo. They, I don't think they were listening. Um, so, anyway, um, when I went to the rodeo this year, um, hold on, Kara, do you mind just asking them if they'll just wait for like 15 minutes to do that? Um, when I went to the rodeo this year, um, that, and y'all probably all have seen this, like, because a lot of y'all are from Texas, but I'm, I'm a transplant, and I'm still into the new cultural things I'm finding here. <laughs> and uh, Saturday Night at the Rodeo is a big one on the list, and they had the Clydesdales come out to do the whole how they backed the wagon to unload the beer and this and this, and they, they have eight horses. They have four pairs, and the guy was explaining how these eight horses who were different and i actually looked up because i was like i can't remember what he said but i just remember this so the front pair they are smallest and they're the fastest because they're the leads but then the second swing pair you see i'm really into this um <laughs> they needed to be larger and more agile but then the third pair called the body pair had to be even bigger because they're the they are the horses that are actually pulling the load in the the set of four pairs but the last pair has to be the biggest because they're the ones that have to hold back this wagon okay so the at the rodeo they did where the horses could do a 90 degree turn which i don't know I'm not a horse person, but at least Saturday night at the rodeo, at, at some point I thought, this isn't gonna happen. <laughs> like those horses were like, I'm not sure, they should have practiced a little bit more. But the guy, I'm sure he has a name, uh, the guy on the wagon, each rein, he has eight individual reins, one to each horse. So it's not just like he has the lead horse and all the horses follow him. The driver has all the reins, and he, through words, through pulling the individual reins, is controlling them. But you can imagine what would happen if one of those horses went rogue. You can imagine if one of them said, yeah, I'm just going to sit down. I'm just going to stop. I don't like this rodeo business. 
I'm embarrassed. Or I want to be one of those horses that gets to carry the flag out on the fast girl, you know, at the opening. You know, all that. I mean, you can put your mind in this Clydesdale story I'm trying to tell you. So each horse, each pair is different, but they're all being pulled the same direction for the same goal, which is to unload a bunch of cold beer at the train station or wherever, okay? They're like-minded. They have a common just goal. So let's apply that to us because that's what Paul is saying for these believers who are obviously different. They're having differences. He is saying, look, make my joy complete. Just fill my cup with this, that you have one horizon you're going toward. You have he says, like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind. So it isn't just, hey, we're all Christians, we're in a club. We, we are like, our club is Trinity Presbyterian Church. That's our church club. It's not just we're a group. Like, I'm a Chi Omega. Um, I'm in the garden club. I'm a part of Tanglewood Schools. I'm, I mean, whatever it is your group you do, it's not just an identity is actually, no, no, actually we have a purpose. And, and so you start thinking back to that word we talked about the first talk about partnership. That Paul said they're, they're partners with him in the gospel. So this is applying to this church. It's not just we're identifying together loosely. It's actually we're a team. We're partners and we're going somewhere together and we're working. It's not just a mental, yeah, on paper, we have the same goal. It's, and now we are actually working toward that goal together. So what is the goal? What are they supposed to be working for? Is it to make Philippi a better place? Is it um, to have a cute building? Is it to get together once a month for fellowship dinners and do whatever you're supposed to do as a church? I think we go back to what Jesus told his disciples to do in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Go. Teach them what I've taught you. Pass along these words. Go to all the nations. There's an outward focus, but the message is what Jesus gave his church. Um, this guy that I was referring to, Mike Sterling, said, Unite in speaking the message entrusted to them. So you have to go, what was important to Jesus? It's the main thing they have to work around because we know we, you have so many people in a room, you're going to have lots of different interests, lots of different, this is important, lots of soapboxes, lots of heart beating for this ministry, and all good things. But this is saying we need one accord. So what is the one thing that we get behind? That's what Jesus told them to do. But it's more than a message. It's more than just believing the same thing. It is this partnership of I've, somehow we've got to work together. We've got to be like the Clydesdales that put a rein on and get mashed up against other horses. And like uh, later, you know, in Hebrews, it says we're being built as living stones. Have you ever tried to build a wall out of stones? Guess what? They have to get touchy. They get gravelly. They get friction. Who wants a wall with little nice, neat gaps of individual rocks? Nobody, because that does not, that's not unified. You can't keep things out and you can't be, have strong walls. And so this, our individual stories 
are really not the story we get behind. We get behind God's big story. We get behind his drama. Um, we are part of that story. And our individual stories, while he loves them, cares for them, is intimately associated with them, we submit that to this bigger story to this bigger partnership it's a bigger drama and that's why he rescued us for a relationship it wasn't just to be saved individually but like I said before to be in a relationship as a community with God and with each other you know he saves a people for himself he we're not going to be like me and Jesus in heaven by ourselves so why would we be like that now we are, we are part of a group that is all going for this eternal glory together. So, so if that's the goal, the goal is the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to rescue you from sins and to redeem this world. Bottom line. Guess what? Your husband who doesn't love you, that does not define you. Jesus comes and defines you as his beloved. That child that has broken your heart or the death of a child that breaks your heart. How can I get solace? How can I have peace? Jesus says, I have peace. Would you like it? For the, the parts of your life where you go, what am I doing here? What's even my purpose? What is even my purpose? Jesus comes and says, I have a purpose for you. Would you like it? Would you like to come with me? Would you like to put my yoke on you? It's light. It's easy. You don't have to do the rat race. The world wants you to. Won't you come with me? This is the good news. This is the message we get behind. So that when our other messages bubble up and it gets in the way of that one, that's not good. And that's why God is very strong about disunity. Because anything, that, even a good thing, even a renovation on 207, uh, whatever, Broadway, if that's the goal, guess what? We're off message. And people are not saved, even though we have a mighty fine building down there on the east, uh, near south side. Um, so how do we do this partnership together? How do we act? So uh, like women's ministry, we have a mission statement. We also have core values. Uh, Trinity does also. I love this because I like a plan. I like things on paper that will remind me. So how, what are our core values? If that's where we're going, if we're all getting in a car, my family, and we're going to Disney World, I know on the map where we're heading, but how we act in the minivan on the way is important too, right? <laughs> so how do we act getting to this eternal glory, this, this goal of the gospel? Well, we act like Jesus did. We act like Paul and like Timothy and Epaphroditus, I can't say his name, who were, you start looking, they were giving up. They were serving. They were putting others' needs in front. They were being humble. They were, um, Jesus says, the great commandment, love God, and the second's likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And um, this is a Christ-centric activity not an egocentric activity and there's a little bit of a difference there and it's hard and this is when I feel like a Clydesdale when I just want to run I see it I can taste it I know I've got the best idea and you have to harness yourself to other people oh that's so frustrating it's like working on a group project you got to slow your roll sometimes sometimes you got to lean in sometimes you have to have confrontation whoa 
Don't sign me up for that. Sometimes you have to actually go, I need to listen and not just want to say my way. It's very much what honors Christ. Not even just of what the goal is, but how we get there. Am I acting like Jesus? Is it Christ's cause instead of my personal one? And this is the other thing that's a real humdinger. Am I involving and rubbing shoulders with God's people or my people? Because we don't, just like you don't choose your real family, your biological family, a lot of times you don't choose your church family either. And if you're church shopping, you will never find the church family you're looking for <laughs> if you're wanting a simple one because sinners are in every one of them. Thank goodness, right? Because we're a sinner. Um, but when I think about applying this lesson to Trinity particularly, and I'm asking myself, how do we need to be mindful? Because every church, I've been a part of like three, I mean, besides the one I grew up in, but like as an adult, three or four churches. I feel like churches have personalities like children. I've had like, like they're the easy kids. They're the troubled teenagers, but they're real fun. Or there's like, you know, every church kind of has a personality. They're not all the same churches. And I think that's really fun to know and to figure out. But if I had to really go, where do we as Trinity women need to be mindful on unity? It's we're really, and this sounds so bad, so I'm just going to say it and you're just going to forgive me. We're pretty people. We're cool people. We're not struggling a lot on a lot of uh, outward things. I know we're struggling on inward things. I know that. So I'm not saying we're, we've got it easy. I am saying that for someone who looks different than we do, it's going to be hard. And we need to be mindful of that. Because Paul is telling us to look out for the interest of others. That's how we do unity. So that is one of the things that... I am really thankful for Trinity because a lot of churches right now are in disunity. And I feel like we've got a sweetness, and I love that. But we want to also be mindful that for, and I was talking actually to a, uh, someone from another church plant that they're struggling with this. I don't know, maybe it's a church plant thing, I don't know. But then when you have a group of people who start something, they are bonded, right? It's like, You've, you know, finished that marathon together or you just have known each other. You've been in the trenches together. And for someone to join that game later takes a lot of intentional including and bringing people in and up to speed in those relationships. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to be best friends because that's not what we're talking about here. But the idea of Trinity is going to morph and you want it to, Right. And so this is something we need as a church plant that's really tight. We need to be flexible. And as we, especially before we move into a new building, have it on our radar of how to look out for the interest of others and how to have Christ's cause over my cause and Christ's people over just my kind of people. Okay? So this kind of salvation, this kind of, Unity reflects how we were saved, right? We're saved by the Trinity. They started this church in Philippi. This is how they want, God wants them to do life together. And it's, they've get, been given a new life together. So they will have new activities and new relationships based on this new life. 
So that's why as a church here in Fort Worth, of course you have your neighborhood, of course you have your people you went to school with and all those common threads, okay? But there is a loyalty and a deep heart connection to other believers. Um, I was talking to our small group leaders this morning about like when my family would be on vacation or uh, you go to church, it's some random place, okay? And it didn't matter if they had drums or if they had things different. There's a connect, my church mainly didn't look like their church, but you would recognize family. You would recognize your people because they had the same love, the same gospel goal. And you, you can almost feel your heart pulling and going, wow, in a different lifetime, I could have been here. I, you know, these are my people, even though I really don't know anything about them. But I see the love they have for God, and I recognize that, and I love God too. Anyway, okay, so like that Clydesdale team, you are individually controlled by your driver, God, but you're in unity. And so are you working for or against this unity? And Paul definitely gives you clues of how to do it well, to fight for it and fight against it. So let's go with the negative first. Let's get that out of the way. So this is what it looks like to buck the system, the horse pulling out of the reins. Um, two things he mentions, selfish ambition and conceit. So I'm just going to take this since we're a bunch of women. Let's just go with the women applications, okay? Women like to be in charge. I do. I love to be in charge. I love, like, I mean, if Lee comes in, my husband, and, like, starts, like, like anything. Like, um, what did he say last week? I was like, what? Um, like, <laughs> like, are you going to put, like, what do you, something like about cooking. It was something about dinner, and I just, in my sassy, deep-rooted self, was like, um, I'm pretty sure you're going to eat, so why are you even talking to me about it? Like, <laughs> like I'm the one in charge of this, you know? So, um you know, not all, not, that's a very broad statement, all women like to be in charge, but I think it's more human nature likes control, wants to feel safe, wants to feel like I know better. I mean, it, you could put that in any context of maybe how you struggle. Um, and I'm just going to be honest, um, and this may be more than you signed up for today. Um, our denomination, uh, Presbyterian Church in America, uh, and there are lots of discussions on this, so this is a whole other thing. But one of the things as a woman in our denomination that you, you sign up for as a woman is saying, you know what, I'm not going to be an officer and I'm not going to preach. And that is being harnessed up. Um, it's, um, there's, a, there's a submitting, a, a humility of there's some things that I'm not going to be in charge of. And, you know, I'm going to be okay with that. Even though I could be a CEO of my business down the street. That you are coming in and going, I'm submitting. You take vows to submit, and not just a woman, but any man and woman. Submit to the leadership. Uh, submit to this group of teaching. I mean, so there's that working through even just our denomination of, um, am I okay with that? Um, how does that look like for me? How do I, when I don't feel like doing that, how do I be humble? Also, submitting to just God's timing. Um, God's timing in, this is not my turn to teach. This is not my turn to be asked to host. 
It's not my turn to be the cutest person in the room. It's not my turn to have the best behaved children. <laughs> Never my turn on that one. Um, uh, you know, maybe other people are being more publicly valued. Um, maybe I wasn't asked to be on that committee. I'm trying to think of all the things that we struggle with. Um, maybe I just, I just, God's put me in a place where I can't be involved and I have to submit to that. I have a child who's sick. I have a marriage that needs tending to. I have a job that this is not my season to volunteer as much at church. Or it is your season to volunteer, but you don't want to do that job. I don't, I don't want to agree because then I have to talk to people. Or I don't want to, do, you know, whatever it is for you that you're like, oh, man, somebody better than that's going to sign up. <laughs> you know, one time in uh, my past church, I, I was, I had the best idea. I had the best idea. And for once, my husband agreed with me. I was like, well, this is, this is called being called by God. <laughs> that, that all lines up. And my idea, after volunteering for years and caring so much for the women and children in my context, and this was a, a church plant that had grown, and um, personally speaking, I thought they needed a little help. And, um, and my help was going to come in the form of, I think you should hire me to be part-time at this church, which they said no to. <laughs> I still remember coming home and I mean bless their hearts I mean we are all friends they had to say no there were other reasons in a, eventually like a year later the timing was right it, it happened within like like a month it happened it was weird but I had to go home well I was probably already home when I found out but I, I remember weeding a flower bed and singing whatever my God ordains is right and just hurting in a combination of mad sad what do I like feeling frustrated a frustration of seeing something and they actually agreed there was a need it just was I was not the fix for it at that time there were other things in play and I had to submit to that and I had to submit to God's timing more than the guys I was submitting to it was I was submitting to God and really that's what this is about when when you have your own ambition and your own conceit of I'm I'm the answer to your prayers that really am I am I am I fighting God on that thinking my way is best I'm seeing it correctly guys girls God you know maybe it's um, you know my conceit of well I just want to hang out with those kind of people those people are kind of quirky they make me uncomfortable or they're not going to really help me with what I want to get done. You, know, you hear the verse about, look, why, why are y'all fawning all over the person who walks in is all dressed up and offering that person the front row seat when the poor person's stuffed at the back? Like that kind of stuff you see in the Bible. God's constantly absorbed with the, the downtrodden, the ones without power, the ones without help. But mainly, will your soapbox compete with Jesus' soapbox? Um, whether it's masks and va vaccinations, political parties, cultural issues, the things that are important and things that need to be discussed, but not the main thing. And church is sacred in that, in that you need to really, really think 
what is supporting the main message that Christ has for us, for Trinity? Is it, well, she doesn't dress very nice, or her top is too low, or, well, she doesn't know how to do that. Bless her heart. Mm -mm. That is what we're fighting against, women, as much as I do it. Um, what is the main thing? Keeping the main thing the main thing. So that's how you work against the team. How do you work with the team? If so, you're like, I don't want to do that. I want unity. I want to do this. So what can I do? I know what to not do now, but what do I do? I need a positive. Well, it's humility. It's the lowliness of mind. It's not, I'm such a terrible person. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's, this is a quote by somebody I can't remember, but thinking less of yourself. Like, wait, hold on. Not thinking of, like, thinking of yourself less, that's it. Yeah. Thinking of yourself less. This is hard to do when you're hurting. This is hard to do when you're throbbing pain of, I'm left out, I'm not valued, I'm not being used. And that's where you need to shift back to how you were saved and Jesus' consolation and his love and the spirit and the mercy he's shown you. And get that hurt tended to by God himself. And when Jesus was asked who's the greatest, what did he say? He pulled in a little kid and he said, unless you have childlike faith, a child, not because they're innocent, but because they need everything. And this word humility here was really off-putting to the Philippians because it was like, that was saved. That word was saved for the lowest of the low. And he's ask, ask, actually asking them to take that kind of attitude because they really are powerless. God has saved them just like you save a child when they need to eat and drink and go to bed and be protected. And humility is this key to unity. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because doesn't Jesus in Matthew 16 ask you, when you want this kind of life, it means taking up a cross to lose your life. It's just that I didn't, when I pictured taking up a cross, I had like, like a movie, you know? I didn't think it would be, I have to sit with her and listen to this? <laughs> Wait a minute. You mean I have to actually have margin in my life to be available? to show someone else the presence? You mean I have to give up my privacy and my independence? That's involved in the cross? That is, that is part of taking up the cross of Christ. It's how he did it. So the second thing besides humility is we look out for others' interest. So not only are we not just grabbing at what we want and to protect ourselves, but we're actually being proactive for others. So this goes back, are you creating a space for the newcomer, for the person who maybe has been here forever, is not new, but just as quiet, who you go, why isn't she here? Let, let, me, let me create a space for that. Um, maybe looking out for the interest for those who can't do something for themselves. So do we want, do we take on that responsibility in a healthy, godly way to, to pave the way for them? This can look like people of color who don't have the place, the connections, the, the, the history, 
the family, the resources, and you who do clear away. You share what you have in, in influence to provide. Does it look like the woman who really just needs a friend or who can't get out the car to get into Bible study and say, let me help her. You are, you are sensitive to her struggle. Not just, I got to get in, I got to get in and get a seat at the table. I can't wait to talk to my friends. Do you recognize needs of others? For the, for the, the women who feel, you, you know by looking at them, they're not going to feel at ease. How do you make them feel at ease? How do you? Do you say, oh, come sit with us, come sit with us? Or do you reach over a woman and talk to your friend about the lunch plans y'all have later? You're just not mindful. You're not, mean, you're not meaning anything mean. You're just not being proactive for the other person. We think about how I wish other people would do that for me. <laughs> Maybe these are the people that aren't usually invited to our Super Bowl parties. They're just not fun. They're the difficult ones, the hurting ones, the quiet ones, the ones that make me have to be humble. How can I share my influence and position, not only in our church, but in our communities for those who don't have them? These are just examples. But it's almost like asking God to give you eyes to see the needs of others. And if you start looking, you'll be surprised. <laughs> you know, it could literally be this poor neighbor of mine has so many magazines at her doorstep and you start throwing them up on her thing just to save her trip. I don't know what it is for you, but, but when I am so focused on me and my hurt and my needs, especially when people at church are not meeting them, guess what? I stop looking at other people's needs. So that is looking out for others' interests. So just to close up, do you need motivation to do this? <laughs> I do. So you, first you look back. Look back like Paul tells them to. Look back at your salvation. Look at how you've been given this. Someone looked out for your interests. You were the enemy of God, and God took care of that and invited you to be family. Have you experienced any kind of sympathy from God, any kind of consolation, any kind of presence? How that will spill over for others. Look back at, at your story with God. Then look right in front of you. Look at your church family. Start looking with those eyes. What do you see as far as needs? What, is there someone who could use compassion right now? Is there someone who could use presence, who could use just something of, that you have to offer? I am not talking like you have to like, I mean, it can involve money, but a lot of us, the thing that really, I'm like, oh, please let me write a check. But don't make me have to like give up my lunch plans. Don't let me have to give up my best friend time. Don't make me give up my privacy. And then look in front. Look at the next verses that are coming next week of look at Jesus. Because thankfully, that's the next verse coming. Look ahead at Christ and how his spirit of humility, what he did. And that's who lives in you. Let's pray. Lord, this is a lot, and it's not very natural for us. Um, and Lord, we just, we need you. We need your help to do this. And we thank you that our basis for unity is you. 
and that with each one of our stories, if we are in Christ, we have been shown all those things and that what you create in us to do mirror that mirror those things so we ask though for hearts that can do this that we would take the time to look around us that we would take our hurts and our selfish ambitions to you get our needs met by christ and then take our hands and feet to help others and to spread this message of help and hope and grace and the good news that jesus saves saves us from our selfishness and our selfish ambitions to be humble when the world around us is not like that. I pray that we would be able to do that at Trinity, especially within the women. In Christ's name, amen. Okay.